Welcome to episode two of Books That Make Us Better. We are currently reviewing the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. My name is Kayla Joe. I'm Megan. I'm Lydia. And I'm Jesse. And uh, we, I think we're ready. Last week, we went over the first part of part one. Part one is mostly about all of the times she was put into the cage and how to get out. And now it seems to me, and I guess we'll see if you guys agree, that part two is some of the ways to get out of the box or out of the cage. Is that what you guys gathered as well? And into the knowing. We believe the power to change lives is within ourselves. We believe with the right attitude, anything can be accomplished. We believe the amount of knowledge and insight available is limitless. But we don't think life should be taken too seriously. Books that make us better. An Alpha Media Podcast. All right, Megan, take it away with how we start part two, which is called Keys. Mm -hmm. So we're starting with a poem called Dropping Keys. The small woman builds cages for everyone she knows, while the sage who has to duck her head when the moon is low keeps dropping keys all night long for the beautiful, rowdy prisoners by... I don't know. Do we want to say Hafiz? 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 I don't know. Did you pick one? I felt like number three was probably right on the money. Okay. Bye, Hafiz. Oh, this was beautiful. Oh, so it kind of like took us all a second maybe to try to figure out what this was about. Because when I read the word sage, I was thinking about the grass you light on fire to like get spirits out of rooms. And I guess that's not at all the kind of sage she was talking about. So turns out I completely missed the mark on that. Yeah. I mean, this is all about learning. We're learning new things, new words, new everything. Oh, gosh. God bless. Thank you for your patience. (laughs) So what did we decide that was about? What was the group consensus on that? I mean, there's obviously this this is poetry. So I feel like there's always it's always open to interpretation and whatever works for you is how it works for you. I don't know. I feel like we settled on a couple options, but it felt like two personalities or like two options of like growing where you start as the maybe you start as a small woman and you're building the cages for yourself or for everyone. And then but you then you become wiser and you're like, I'm going to drop my keys for my various myselves or other people and like start unlocking these things. And I feel like there's some meaning behind when the moon is low, like the whole at night when no one is watching, kind of like those types of things are happening. And so maybe like the evolution of the small woman to this age was happening unbeknownst to everyone else. But that particular person or woman. Yeah, that all makes a lot more sense. We just needed, uh, I don't know, four sets of eyes and then four mouths to <laughs> four brains to really figure that out in that <laughs> So what is uh, chapter one keys? Okay, so the parts that I highlighted in this first section are when she's talking about um, losing herself when she learned how to please other people and that when she got sober, she had to really look at her life and she really had to kind of determine what kind of life she wanted to have. And so she talks about she did this by resurrecting the very parts of herself that she trained herself to mistrust, hide and a abandon in order to keep other people comfortable. And these things included her emotions, her intuition, her imagination, and her courage. But then she talks about how those are the very keys to freedom. And that is who we are as people. And then she ends it here with asking, will we be brave enough to unlock ourselves 
And will we be brave enough to turn ourselves free and to step out of our cages and to tell the world, here I am? Well, that was beautifully done, Lydia. Thank you. I feel like there's not really, I feel like that's probably the perfect introduction to part one because then it goes directly into key one. Okay, so now that I'm reviewing this again um, with the hive mind, all of this is making sense that it's key one. I did not put that together the first time I read through it. Uh, So Megan, would you like to take away key one, feel it all? Yes. So like this one, um, I feel like this one hit me. And the reason I really wanted it is because I, it really hit me because I feel like I've just recently done a lot of this in my life is just like actually feeling because I've definitely been in her place. So essentially, I'm going to summarize it very succinctly. In this one, she's talking about I think becoming sober and then like how she started to feel everything, like everything. And she didn't know if I'm remembering right. She said she didn't know she was supposed to feel everything. She thought she was just supposed to feel happy and that every other emotion was meant to be like, you know, pushed aside or dealt with and then move on. This super resonated with me. And I bet it resonates with a lot of people. Like, I think a lot of us were honestly like to just, you know, move on and get over whatever it is, emotion that you're feeling. I find myself even now mothering in the wrong way. You know, if Cora's upset about something, you know, when I'm short tempered, I'm like, oh, instead of just letting her like feel the emotions, you know, she's almost four. Her frontal lobe is not developed. She's irrational. And I know that, but like, it's still... She still has emotions. She still has feelings. And she, she, still, she should still get to feel those. And so I feel like in this, Glennon is just coming to terms. She's feeling all these things. And she's like, oh, my God, life is so hard. It doesn't seem so hard for all the rest of you. I think the thing that I really liked was this part. It's okay to feel all of the stuff you're feeling. You're just becoming human again. You're not doing life wrong. You're doing it right. If there's any secret you're missing, it's that doing it right is just really hard. Feeling all of your feelings is hard, but that's what they're for. Feelings are for feeling. Yes. So what was so interesting about that is I read this chapter and then a couple days later, uh, I picked Liam up from school, my seven-year-old son, and he was talking about some of the different kids in his class. And he said, you know, this kid is kind of a mean kid, but mom, he just has a lot of feeling. And so I said to him, I said, Liam, do you know what feelings are for? He says, what? I said, they're for feeling. And so uh, I think that this is so true because kids get hurt. And the first thing you want to say is you're fine. Quit crying. You're fine. Mm -hmm. But we don't usually let um, little people feel the feelings and then get over it and move on. We just kind of want to brush it away. Like you were saying, well, then that turns into adults that don't know how to feel their feelings. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that Glennon hid all of her feelings with alcohol when really I think people just kind of do this every day and it's just part of their normal lives, even if they're not covering up with alcohol. And I guess I kind of forgot a a little half of this. I'm looking at my um, highlights, but also in the, in the second half of this chapter, she talks about how she starts to use the pain that she's feeling this new pain. And she says that she uses it to to rise. She knows that she's going to come down with this pain and like, it's going to be difficult, but she's going to rise stronger and better afterwards. I don't remember if it's in this one or later, but she starts like talking about how she's anticipating that if something painful is possibly coming, she's almost like anticipating that 
like trial, essentially this hardship in her life. She's excited about it, you know, like she doesn't want to, but she knows that it's going to be better in the end. And I just thought, okay, high fives to you. Cause I definitely dread those situations, but it's so true that you can come out and maybe not stronger, but wiser you, be, you come out a sage. <laughs> yeah. So can I just like chip in one of the parts that I really liked about this chapter? Yes, do the very end. It's like at the bottom of um, the last page, she says, like Buddha, who had to leave his life of comfort to experience all kinds of human suffering before finding enlightenment. Like Moses, who wandered 40 years in the desert before seeing the promised land. Like Wesley from The Princess Bride, who said, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. And like Jesus, who walked straight towards his own crucifixion. First the pain, then the waiting, then the rising. All of our suffering comes when we try to get our resurrection without allowing ourselves to get crucified first. I just really think that drives home the point that in order to be better, sometimes we do have to experience and go through things that are really, truly less than ideal. And I thought that just was a really neat way to kind of give a bunch of different examples to things that ended up the same way. Yeah. And I know she focused a ton on pain, but as I read this chapter, it kind of brought me back to some work that we've been doing just even within um, our school. So we have time with our students every single day where we work through social, emotional and behavior curriculum and content. And one of the things that we focused on towards the end of the year was related to emotions and the fact that a human ex can experience up to 34,000 different types of emotions and being able to identify those and put words and put uh, be able to explain them can be very hard. So we try to kind of not teach students them, but understand that sometimes when they say they're feeling an emotion, like I'm fe fearful, maybe they're, or they're scared or they're anxious th while they are feeling that they might also be worried or overwhelmed or frightened or feeling inadequate. And so being able to truly understand and go through those helps people get through those types of things. So I don't know. I just thought about that and was like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like I wish I would have had some of this work and understanding too, maybe as an adolescent and even as an adult, like I was just as intent in listening to the lesson as the kids were like, oh, this is good for me too. Mm -hmm. Did you say 34,000? The wheel, the emotional wheel is, I'll show it to you sometime. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Wow. I didn't realize it was like a whole wheel. Yeah. But I, we use like 10 commonly. So happy and fearful or scared, or we use the ones that you and I are probably so used to saying our feelings in those just set of words. But what we're actually feeling is something very more precise being able to identify that is hard work, but also it helps you understand yourself better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really insightful. That sounds like it was a good program. Yeah. But also I think that kind of stuff is tricky because like, if you think about something like anger, which like all of us have felt angry, mm -hmm. anger is always such a secondary emotion. Your anger is caused by something else. Like oh, either, sure. Yeah. Either you're afraid or, you know, like you said, you're overwhelmed or you're nervous. And so it's so tricky because one emotion will hide as something else. And, you know, like Glennon said, being human is not easy. It's not. And if it is easy, you're not doing it right. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So uh, key two is called be still and know. So Glennon, first of all, talks about finding answers essentially within herself 
kind of. So what I picked up from this chapter was it's kind of like her journey of learning how to meditate, which by the way, I've tried unsuccessfully and it is very complicated. And for sitting there quietly, you really wouldn't think you it remember was remember when we tried to meditate and they told us to like connect with our inner inner gut and stuff and we just we couldn't stop laughing because we oh my just gosh, couldn't understand it well they okay so this hold on let's just get off track for one second this is guided meditation that's okay so yes this was a guided meditation that jesse and i decided to do together <laughs> and <laughs> we really tried i promise no we tried it yeah and so this meditation was about being grateful for your body which like the idea of it 10 out of 10 like a hundred percent be thankful for your gut or like digestion or something like that i am thankful for it but i don't i i i'm not thankful for it right now when you're trying to think and be serious and it's like but how about that small intestine huh (laughs) (laughs) what about it this is just so off track and your colon Oh gosh, it went into everything. It just like we could not take any of it. Biologically, they're very important. They, I do understand. I just probably wasn't in the headspace for that. I was thinking it was going to be very like when I looked at gratitude, I was thinking like big picture gratitude and not that like the body isn't big picture, but like probably more like family and, you know, health, yeah. like yes, health, but it was like very specific, like your fingers and like, or t- and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, what is happening like, what right now? Have, like a small injury or something or like, or like, how do you, how are you thankful for your colon? If you're like constipated or you have <laughs> like, I'm not grateful know. for you right now. <laughs> <laughs> you Colin. are inadequate. You're in the doghouse. I think, yeah, <laughs> I, I just, had my guts a preconceived kind of notion of what was going to happen and that wasn't it and so then it was just kids in the back of the classroom that can't stop laughing did you have voodoo dolls we did not there were none around that i saw but there was stage <laughs> lots of it so glennon is talking about um essentially trying to do the right thing who decides what the right thing is and really what it comes down to is we have to decide what the right things are for ourselves so later in the chapter she talks about about how um, she, for the first day, she ended up going into her closet and her mind would race and go everywhere and think 10,000 different things. Um, But the more she tried to meditate, uh, the more she got to know what was called her own knowing. So she says that whenever there's a life decision she has to make or something she has to do, she tries to feel for the knowing. So she said she sinks into it a hundred times a day. I have to because the knowing never reveals a five-year plan. It feels to me like a loving playful guide like the reason it will only reveal the next right thing is it wants me to come back again and again because it wants to do life together so kind of what i picked up from this chapter is like this is kind of her version of god is that knowing that's inside of her that when she sits quietly and really thinks about the problem she gets this warm good feeling sensation and that's kind of how she decides what the knowing is telling her to do. So her instructions on how to know moment of uncertainty arises, breathe, turn inward, sink, feel around for the knowing, do the next thing it nudges you towards and let it stand. So don't, don't explain. And then she just says, repeat this forever. So every time there's a decision, just be quiet, turn inward and wait for the knowing or your gut or your true self to basically tell you what that next small step is. So I suppose we all have different names for the knowing. Her knowing was super spiritual. I would probably call that knowing as 
like the Holy Spirit or the spirit or, you know, my God. Mm-hmm. But I guess the knowing is, is different for everybody. I think that would just be like intuition. Yeah, in she case. mentions it. I don't know if you read this, Kayla Joe, but when she said this is the most revolutionary thing a woman can do. The next precise thing, one thing at a time, without asking permission or offering explanation. This way of life is thrilling. And I feel like I loved when she said that because it was like right after she made that like decision, you know, she finally found herself able to do this meditation just quickly when she needed to to make a decision in like a board meeting or something. I I love that because it's so true that women often are like, you know, we can't just make a decision. We have to defer to somebody else. Why can't we just? I feel like I'm super lucky because I work among women and we always make the decisions and we tell them and our decisions and we live in that like it's perfect. We have the perfect, you know, I what do you want to call that? Like workplace work culture, just like thank you. Culture, workplace yeah. culture. Obviously it's our family. And so yes, I feel very grateful that we are lucky enough to get to do that. We know that we can make these decisions on our own and like we don't feel like we have to bow down and like stroke the ego. Like we can just do it. And I just like reading that. I was like, yes, we are. I highlighted the same part. And but for the uh, the second part of it, the fact that I am a habitual explainer for why I do everything. Like I feel like everyone is owed an explanation for why I chose to do something or why I made that decision. And it's never even been asked like, oh, well, why? No one asked me why. I just offer the why because I feel like I have to. And and it's not linked towards any sex in particular. Like I just do it with everyone. And so I'm like, I don't have to explain myself. I don't have to do that. And why do I do that all the time? All the, like everything. Like, do you catch yourself doing it? Oh, all the time. And then after the fact, I'm like, God, can I like go back and say, I didn't have to tell you that. I just, I just wanted to. <laughs> no, but I'm just I'm like, like I tell you. Yes. Again, I am a recovering perfectionist and people pleaser and I relapse often, but I constantly try to improve upon those aspects. And one of those things is always explaining the why channel channel your inner mom and just like when someone asks you why just like because Because I said so yeah we don't even have to say the I said so oh because like shit yeah I don't I don't ever do the because I said so because I hated it when my mom said that so I um especially loved key three Lydia do you want to sum up imagine Oh, I really liked this one, too. I have actually a lot of markings in this chapter. She really starts out talking about finding out that she's pregnant. And kind of the first thought she has is, I would be the worst mother. And then something inside of her says, no, you'll be a great mother. And she becomes sober. And then she, she has the life that appears perfect. She has the husband, the dogs, the the children. She has this writing career and she's on the tour for her most recent memoir where she talks about how marriage is saved. And that's when she sees Abby. Something inside of her is telling her this woman is it. This is the person for you. Then she kind of jumps into talking about like how she's always lived her life, how there's the unseen order and the seen order. The seen order of things is what we can view in the world. The 
the crimes happening, the children across the world who are hungry, the top 1% of the world being who they are and the power that they hold and how and then we know instinctively that seeing a child starve is wrong or a mass shooting is wrong we know these things are wrong and then she said that the unseen order is what lives in us and this is the vision we carry of what the world should be and if we could create our own image of the world what would that look like? So she really talks about how if we work to make the vision of the unseen order that lives in us, if we make that visible in our lives, homes, and nations, we will make reality more beautiful. It's like so hard to pick a part that I don't like. I just want to talk about every aspect of this chapter because I really, really loved it. She talks about how in order to move things in this world, you have to have people who are willing to step up and speak about why something is not okay and then push for that move to change it. And she brings up Martin Luther King and Gloria Steinem talking about how they had a dream and how we all have something in us that propels us to want more or to like create this this better life because we all know that life is more beautiful than what we can currently see. She encourages women to look at their lives or look at an aspect of their life that maybe they do not like or wish they could change and ask themselves if you could imagine the most beautiful, truest image of this particular issue, what would that look like? Like if you were having marriage problems or like if you didn't like your job, what would be the most truest, beautiful image of that? And then work towards that image. What I really like at the end of the chapter is she says, let's conjure up the truest, most beautiful lives we can imagine, the truest, most beautiful world, and then put it all on paper and then make those dreams our plans. And I love that so much. I love that too. I remember this was years and years ago because I've been also personal training for over six years. But I remember there was a night that my husband was driving and I was just a passenger in the car. And this was shortly after I decided that I was going to get my personal training certificate or I was going to attempt to get it. And I looked over at Tony and I said, could you, could you imagine like how cool it would be if someone was like, well, what does your wife do? And you're like, she's a radio DJ and a personal trainer. I'm like, wouldn't that just be so awesome? And like that moment, it made me think of that because then like months later I passed the test and was a personal trainer and had been a radio DJ long before that. So it's interesting that sometimes even when we take those dreams and then just speak them, <laughs> that things change and they don't always um, have to be big gestures or huge gestures. Sometimes it's emailing a city council person. <laughs> Not that I did that today. <laughs> I did that today. Uh, I definitely echo what Kayla is saying because so I've I've been into this like books that make us better thing for longer than probably the average. Like I really got into it when I was in my late teens and early 20s. I was super into motivational, I don't want to say self-help, but like stuff like that. And so and I was also a big kind of trend fad person. I'm definitely going to admit that. So I, did you guys ever read The Secret? The book called The Secret? No, I never read it. Oh my gosh. So in, and again, I haven't read it in a decade. So whether or not it's relevant anymore, but there 
there were pieces of the book that always stayed with me. And one of the big things was that thoughts become things, what you think about, you bring about and what you speak about, you bring about. And so being very conscious and mindful of those things. And so if you want certain things, you have to think about certain things and talk about certain things and kind of create not really a vision board, but like, I use this saying all the time with my kids um, at school when they say like, oh, this is going to suck. This is going to blah. And they can be talking about a variety of things. And I just say, you know, thoughts become things. What you think about, you bring about. So if you think that, that's what's going to happen. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can change your thinking. You can change your mindset. And so being a mindset person and in that, I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People they're really big on that thinking as well. So again, I'm a kind of a self-help book junkie. So <laughs> sorry, random knowledge. But again, I, that when Kayla said that, I was like, yes, Glennon goes on into chapter, the next part of it, the let it burn. Did, doesn't she talk about like actually putting it on paper or no, that's the end of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have to, you have to create every single dimension. So dimension one is thinking about it. Dimension two is writing about it. And dimension three is that creation of it. Yes. And using your imagination because, yes, and, and the importance of using your imagination to envision what things could be. And she talks about how this discontent is evidence that your imagination has not given up on you. So this stage of not this part of my life is not what my life is going to be is important because it means your imagination is there and is telling you what is possible. Like when I wanted to run for council, I was terrified because that's like putting yourself out there in such a way that you can't really take it back. But I, I kind of had that same kind of talk with my husband, Kayla, like you did. How cool would it be to be like, uh, your wife's on city council. And then I was at a restaurant talking to him all about this. And our daughter was next to us. And she looked at me and was like, are you going to for city council? And I said, maybe. And she said, that would be so cool. And it was kind of like her moment, like this moment of I could show my daughter what a woman's capable of. And I was like, I got to do it. Well, I guess now we know that this, the city council person that I potentially emailed, <laughs> I guess the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> Too many breadcrumbs. Lydia's on city council. Why? <laughs> it's a secret. Well, not anymore, Lydia. <laughs> I think that's an interesting time to move on to key four. Build and burn. Does anyone want to take this one? So in Let It Burn, the main idea of the chapter is that before we before the out, outward worlds can match our inner we have to be our inner knowing and our inner imagination we have to be okay with letting that old world or old version of our life be destroyed and be able to feel that and be okay with it and understanding that through pain and and sometimes great pain comes that next chapter, that next, you know, phase of our life. Um, And so she's just really kind of setting the stage for what she experienced through doing that and what she's heard of like other women going through that process. And I saw the reference of the Phoenix, those the Phoenix birds that burns and the Phoenix rising, but using her own kind of examples for that. So I really, this is probably one of my favorite chapters so far in the book, to be totally honest, because part of it reflected a little bit of how, or rather what my goals would be in raising my son. 
And one of the parts that I highlighted was a broken family is a family in which any member must break herself into pieces to fit in. A whole family is one in which each member can bring her full self to the table, knowing that she will always be both held and free. And I've always told my son, you can be whatever you want to be as long as you're kind. Like as long as you're a good person, like you can be whatever in the world you want to be. Like you can love who you want to love. You can learn what you want to learn. You can do for work what you want to do for work. None of these things matters to me as long as you just are a nice human being who is accepting of others. And Glennon said, I unbecame a woman who believed that another would complete me when I decided that I was born complete. She talks about the main part of construction is the destruction of what you are first. So in order to become, you have to take apart what you were and then rebuild it in a different way. Truly, we can do that in life as many times as we want. Yeah, the end of her chap the end of this chapter talks about be- the memos being written in sand so that they can be revised and written again to be more truer and to be more beautiful every single time you revise them and I just thought that image of sand and how impermanent like the shape of sand is and it's ever changing and evolving with the winds or something or the water or all of those types of things and so I was like oh that's a really good way of thinking about it yeah I loved that part and I also loved at the very end she says I am a human being meant to be in perpetual becoming if I am living bravely my entire life will become a million deaths and rebirths this was honestly one of my favorite chapters just we don't ever have to stop changing or building all of the things that we want to change and build and I I think for me I definitely I 100% connected and identified it but I think I still live in that. I haven't broken that mindset that the, the phrase in perpetual becoming instantly made me exhausted. Like I'm always going to be in this pursuit of becoming, be someone becoming. And I feel like I've already spent so much of my life trying to be someone. And then now I'm like, but was that who I wanted or was that what somebody else wanted? And now I got to do the process all over. Like, Oh, do we think any of this could have been because you started with the books that make us better in your late teens? <laughs> well, I could be, yes, I think I've been on this exhausting journey of self, but also I think that was part of my perfectionism. Like I felt inadequate in areas and we're like, okay, well, the only way to fix that is to find other people to fix me. So it was other books. Her book isn't really about giving you strategies as much as it is just perspective and how you interpret that perspective. You come up with your own resolutions. Whereas like the majority of things I had read were like step one, try this step two, do this. And then, so I was on this hamster wheel of just trying to always achieve these things. When I read this, I was like, oh yeah, like I definitely felt the same way, Jesse, of feeling like I'm, if I'm always changing, it's, that sounds very exhausting and tiring. Yes. So I was like, well, I mean, if I think back on things like right now for me, I'm like currently in this, like, 
happy place of Cora is at daycare during the day. Ira is like fairly chill. I hate to be that mom that identifies myself by their kids. I kind of do. And like, you know, my my day is dictated by one of them for sure, because he's still with me all day. I definitely started carving out time for myself even if it's during the day, even it's when I should be working, but I, you know, I have the luxury of being able to stop and start my work when I can. I just started carving out this time. Even this summer, I wanted a garden, but the thought of it sounded exhausting because it was like, it's going to be big and I'm going to have to do a lot of work and I still have the kids. That to me sounds horrible, but I've started making the time to go do it. And when I'm in the garden, it is my Zen. That is my quiet space, like Glennon's quiet space. That is my spot where I get all my thinking done, where I can just be by myself and do it. And I I feel like this is where I'm becoming because I am finally listening to myself and giving myself the things that I needed where I've been just give, give, giving. And I know there's a lot of moms out there that know exactly what that feels like. And even even not just moms. I think anybody who's in in some sort of place where you are taking care of somebody else, like teachers, caregivers, like assisted living homes, anybody who's always giving of themselves, they know it. They know it too. They know this exact feeling that you constantly give yourself and you forget to think about yourself. I feel like this spoke to me in that way of remember yourself become yourself. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of work, but like you have to embrace the change. It's so interesting though, how like different people can perceive that so differently because I feel like even though I'm only in my early thirties, I've kind of lived not, I wouldn't say so many lives who I was 10 years ago before I got married and before I had Liam and I was working full time and staffing and not really fulfilled, but like it was a decent job and I did good things and I got to help people. So like it was fulfilling in a way that I was making a difference in other people's lives. And that was great. But then like you have Liam and you kind of become something else. And then I was like, well, I really don't want to devote my time away from, you know, this little tiny human who I would die for in two seconds to go do something that I don't want to be doing. And so then, you know, this crusade to, to start personal training started. And so it's like, when I look back 10 years, I was someone so different than I am today, like a different job, a different mentality, a different way of looking at things than I do like sitting here right now. But then I think, well, who could I be in 10 years? And so we're like, you guys take that idea and it feels kind of scary or it feels kind of overwhelming. Like to me, it feels really exciting. Whoever I am today, I don't have to be in a year if I don't want to be that person. I can go out and pursue other things and, and do other things if I decided to do that. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, so many people can read the same chapters and just have a different, you know, for someone it might feel overwhelming, but to someone else it's hella exciting because who knows what tomorrow is going to bring. I mean, one minute you're free every Sunday, the next minute you're going to call out bingo. Like what kind of life is that? It's incredible. Where are you going to be calling out bingo? I don't know. It's just this little side gig. (laughs) I love side hustles. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I feel like, well, I feel like that's the whole point of this, isn't it? That we're, we're all coming together and we're, this book that's supposed to make us better is resonating differently with each of us based on our our lives, our lived lives, you know, like what we do in the daily. And maybe our life is is our family and maybe our life is our job. I feel like however you categorize your life, you can still come here. Like, I feel like that's the whole point of this is anyone can come here. And that's like you can find a way to be better and have this resonate for you. 
Yeah, because no doubt there's listeners that are in 10,000 different situations than what the four of us are in. And that's what's so neat about the four of us is that we're all in completely different life situations, which I think is the perfect segue. And you guys are going to kill me, but I'm going to make each of you just mention something about yourself. Jesse, I'm sorry. I love you. XOXOXO. And I won't make you do any burpees tomorrow or kettlebell swings. Oh, oh my God. You know, for someone that doesn't know me, my name is Kayla. Joe, I have one child. And a heck of a lot of dogs. And I live life trying to do kind things and save dogs. And that's just kind of who I am. So I'm Lydia. I am a mother of three. It's important to me that my children grow up in a world where people care about each other. And I will do whatever I can to make sure we have a world like that. My name is Jessie. I am a 34-year-old educator. And uh, I say this all the time, recovering perfectionist and people pleaser. I have been on a journey of kind of just finding myself since I can remember. I am a huge foodie and love to cook, love a good glass of wine and probably could be called a crazy plant lady. This sounded like the perfect dating profile. I mean, you can put me on Tinder. I'm not swiping. I think, I think you. <laughs> is that the is that the app? I don't even know. I think is so. Yeah. Long walks right. on the beach, pina coladas, all that. I am Megan. I for my do, I'm a marketing coordinator for my family business. And um I but I'm a horticulturist at heart. I have a degree in horticulture and so I'm really into plants and being outside and I'm just finally I'm the mother of two and I'm just finally getting to the point where they are cool enough that I fully embrace my love for plants again and and everything, you know, outdoors. Well, that's it. There you have it. Those are the amazing women that make up books that make us better. Thank you for joining us for episode two. Don't forget to follow along as we review the first part of part three of Glennon Doyle's Untamed. Have a wonderful week and don't forget, feel those feelings.